Welcome to Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz. Since 2012, Mario Rosales of Tech Life Balance and I have been airing inspiring, insightful conversations with all kinds of change agents who are raising the vibration on our planet. It's the intention of our show to explore possibilities and shift perspectives in holistic, spiritual ways. You'll hear how various industry experts discover and share their deepest passions to make a bigger difference in the world. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And do me a favor, please come back and rate the show so that new people can find us. We'll introduce our next guest in just a moment. Have you ever gone to a social media seminar and you have the online experts telling you, get a blog, get a website, get on social media, all this other stuff. By the time you're done with that seminar, that online expert is very good at frying your brain. The funny part is, you come back home, you get in front of the computer, and you're lost. Hi, I am Mario with Tech Life Balance. I see this all the time. You spend so much money and still don't know what is going on with your online presence. And you know, you probably don't need all of that. Let me go ahead and translate Geek to English for you and show you what you really need because you don't need it all. You probably only need a few components. You have a great message out there and I would like to hear it, and I definitely want to help you put it out there. I am Mario Rosales with TechLifeBalance.net. I produce this podcast because I love distributing messages. Let me help you distribute your message. Hi, it's your host, Cheryl Sitz. And when I'm not doing this podcast, I really enjoy coaching you on how you can have the life you really want. As creators of our own reality, there's a lot of ways that we can block ourselves, hold ourselves back, or just not get really clear on what it is we want. Once we do that, there is no stopping us. I'd love to help you do that. Get in touch with me at CherylSits.com. We're going to have some fun today. J.P. Sears, I'm sure you've probably seen him on YouTube. He's an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, event speaker, world traveler, and curious student of life. He empowers us to live more meaningful lives, often by first laughing at ourselves. In fact, his new book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority through Sounds True Publishing, just came out on March the 7th. And you've probably also enjoyed at least one of his videos on the, on the Ultra Spiritual Comedy Series. He's had over 100 million views. I know some of those are mine. You'll find him <laughs> online at awakenwithjp.com. And JP, thank you for being with us today. Oh, you're very welcome, Cheryl. Thank you for being weird enough to have me. (laughs) Oh, it is definitely a delight. And (laughs) I have a lot of fun on this spiritual path, too. So your videos really resonate for me. I have to ask, were you like the class clown? How did you find this humorous offtake to what we're doing right now? Well, yeah, I I was definitely a class clown for sure. It's, and I think there's a couple dimensions to it. One, it, like it was a way of entertaining myself and uh, entertaining people around me. And of course, I get entertained watching people be entertained by me. So, you know, I, I won't be the first person to say this, but as a kid, I found school incredibly boring. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with that, uh, entertaining my friends, entertaining even the teacher at times of walking the line between amusing the teacher yet not getting in trouble with the teacher and like pushing pushing that line because I think the further I could push that line and not get in trouble the more amused the teacher would get 
But when I push that line too far and I go from the, the zone of like, okay, I'm amusing the teacher to now I'm getting in trouble, I'd certainly spill over that line uh, to an extent. And then, um, yeah, the, then there's a, another dimension of the class clowning where when I started teaching classes uh, in 2006, I started teaching uh, health classes for as an independent contractor for what's called the Czech Institute, kind of like a holistic uh, health alternative organization. So I show up and teach these three-day class classes in like whatever city around the world. And what I was teaching was like really great information that is also really boring information, like all <laughs> about health, nutrition, stress reduction, some emotional healing stuff. Like, again, I, I have so much respect for that information, but like, come on, after three days, we're just bored with it. Yeah. Uh, so I started to figure out it, I, I can keep people's attention, but more importantly, I can keep my own attention <laughs> when I'm amusing people. So I figured out like when I can say ridiculous things with just a stone cold, straight face, you know, dry humor and it, it would re, it would do a few things in the class. Like first, first half of the first day, half the class would like get like, oh, you think that was funny. And uh, the, another well, third of the class will go in thirds, not half. Uh, another third of the class would think I'm just absolutely off my rocker. Like that, that can't be true. How how can he said that? And he has to be serious because he looks serious. And then the the uh, third third of the class would be very confused. Like, is that guy serious about what he just <laughs> said? Or so I just throw in just these little jabs of satirical dry humor every now and then to keep people on their toes and to amuse me. So I think being able to teach, I think, thousands of hours worth of those classes in front of live audiences where I get very immediate feedback because I can see everybody's face, uh, that was that was uh, an important training ground that helped sharpen the sword of my humor interacting with people that was originally forged when I was a child. It's awesome. It is such a great tangible way to dive into some otherwise either boring or extremely yeah. controversial and sensitive subjects. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, all information I think is boring. <laughs> and that's I know I might just be a little ADD. But I think how the information is delivered, it, it can make very inherently boring information so engaging, so entertaining. I look at some of the people who I've learned the most from in my life and why I've paid attention to the information they share is because they are the messenger who entertains me and who I can connect with. So uh, for teachers, uh, I think how information is delivered is what can create the engagement and the entertaining. But I think information unto itself, it's as boring as a textbook because honestly, textbooks are just pure information. Right. Well, and it opens the heart, which is such an important part of this, right? If we can feel our way to what's true for us, that's kind of the secret of it all, isn't it? Yeah, to me, that's a, a very important part uh, as well. I think, you know, the we open our hearts via this phenomenon called connection. Mm -hmm. And if we have a someone who we're watching, be it a video, a speaker, or a friend, but someone who we can actually connect to, 
uh, because they're being themselves, because they're maybe being entertaining, which might be a natural extension of themselves. It's like, oh, now there's someone to connect to. We can't just connect to information that's like a head phenomenon, a brain mm-hmm. phenomenon. But if what I'm saying is half true, then connection happens in, in the heart. So we need the connection to open our heart. And I dare say we then have uh, uh, a little bit of a richer life because our heart's been open to a new degree. Absolutely. So why spirituality? Why is that where you went and brought your humor to become this phenomenon that so many people like me enjoy your videos and and get a good laugh at what we're going through on our planet right now? Yeah, I think originally for me, it was spirituality because that's where I was losing myself the most. I think humor can be a beautiful spotlight of awareness to help us see the unseen that's happening in our life, see the shadow side that's kind of consuming us that we're otherwise blind to because it's the shadow side. So, you know, in my really early 20s, I embarked on my quote unquote spiritual path and like a lot of great growth has happened because of it. But uh, like anything in our relative world, there's, uh, there's a downside to it as well. So I had spent about 10 years being very blind to how I was also losing myself while I was also helping myself through my spiritual practices and pursuits. And my videos became a way of me uh, reconciling that, helping bring more balance to me where I would shine the light on the hiding places where I was losing myself that uh, I was otherwise blind to because these are very altruistic hiding spots. Like they're spiritual uh, (laughs) words that I'm using, spiritual practices that I'm using to hide from myself. So it took, uh, you know, it it took my videos to be self-therapy to help me find more and more of me. And then, you know, so I think spirituality was the first step and, and probably the second and third step. But also now I am very uh, interested and, and, um, you know, uh, yeah, very interested and passionate about using uh, comedy to explore outside of spirituality. You know, I'll always have spirituality. That genre is one of my roots, and I'll always go back to it. But I don't want to be exclusive in it because, one, that would just bore me. And, two, I think there's a lot of awareness uh, for us to encounter outside of the genres of spirituality. So, using my videos to uh, help people see the unseen in different uh, meaningful areas of life is important to me. And also, it's been a nice catalyst of growth for me to accept the challenge of going outside of just what had become a safe playground of the spiritual genres uh, with videos. It's awesome. And, you know, you bring a light to something that I know I do. I'll be going through this quote unquote spiritual awakened life, going through the motions, doing the meditations, doing these different conscious practices. And then a few days or even weeks into that, I realize that I've still gone on unconscious somewhere, that we can be going through the motions and still not be staying connected in the way that we mean to. How do you keep that balance? Yeah, well, I, I don't think I keep it. I, I think I do my best to be aware when I go out of balance. I, it's uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think being able to acknowledge some of the some of the paradoxes in life 
are important in order to stay as balanced as we can be. Otherwise, we get lost in one of the extremes, which is being way out of balance. So I do believe that the path we take to find ourselves will become the path that we lose ourselves on uh, unless there's conscious intervention and non-attachment. So, yeah, I, I do my best to check myself with those reminders of like what works for me will eventually work against me. And uh, because I think our human spirits always want to grow. So when something works for us, we can get attached to it because we believe this has helped me grow. And it it probably has. And it helps us grow for a month, a year, maybe a few years. And then once it's no longer helping us grow, it becomes an anchor. Yet our belief in our head is still, this helps me grow because it helped me grow three years ago when I started it. (laughs) So that belief, this helps me grow, can have us essentially holding on to a cement block swimming in the ocean And that's pulling us down while we're believing that it's adding buoyancy to us. So I think the the Buddha and other maybe weirdos like that taught (laughs) non-attachment for a reason. I think becoming as non-attached as possible to that which uh, to that which works for us is ideal because eventually that which works for us will start working against us because we simply outgrow it. it. And it's scary to let go of something that's worked for us because uh, we still believe it works for us. And I think we love familiarity as humans. So that's my long, (laughs) rambling, winded uh, way of saying the paradoxical reminder uh, of something that works for me will work against me eventually. The question is, can I have the conscious awareness to recognize it? That helps me... uh, rebalance uh, when I inevitably fall on my face out of balance. That's a perfect tool. I love that. And I haven't heard it put that way before, that what works to help us find ourselves will ultimately be where we lose ourselves. You are absolutely right. And it's easier for us to see it happening to our friends around us than it is for us to recognize, oh, yeah, I'm doing that too, right? (laughs) Very much so. Well, let's talk a little about this exciting new book. You've made yourself the gatekeeper of ultra spirituality with this new book of yours. Tell me what finally led you to go from video to a book. Yeah, the really the um, I guess the real answer is publishers started to approach me, and they I, I think they they saw the work that I was doing and saw the value in it, respected it, but also publishing as a business. They saw the size of my audience was growing. So they saw it as a, a good business deal to approach weird redheaded JP <laughs> with some publishing ideas. And, and I'm so glad they did because honestly, the idea of writing uh, a comedy book never crossed my mind. Like I had always had, had the notion like in the back of my mind, yeah, you know, I'm 60 years old sitting by a fireplace in some cabin. I'll like write a book. I'm a typewriter. One of those kind of nostalgic <laughs> images. Uh, but like it would be a, a like a sincere, serious book. But when they put the idea of like, whoa, writing a comedy book on the table, that was so exciting to me. It just felt like a yes mm-hmm. right away. And like my heart was just saying yes, even though my mind's kind of freaking out that I'm <laughs> saying yes, because my mind's like, well, I don't know if I can write a book. And that seems like a big thing. And, you know, will I will, you know, my comedy transfer from video to a book and, you know, 
meeting expectations, just all the scary stuff. But yeah, it was definitely a yes. And, and to me, the journey of writing a book was uh, a win before anybody else ever read the book. The, the, I would call it the depth of creativity, the dimensions of myself that I had to go into to write the book were all new. And that was, it's like I was finding myself writing the book because it's one thing to write a a five minute long video. It's awesome. I love it. It's a great adventure. And you only go like five minutes deep, but like a 250 page book, it's a much, it's a much more vertical descent into the well of creativity. So that was a beautiful experience. I found inner resources that I didn't know existed. So, yeah, and to me, it's very exciting one that I was able to put my heart and soul into writing the book and the new challenge. And and also, uh, not that I'm biased, but I, I love how the book turned out. I, <laughs> I think it's funny, it's entertaining, and the comedy of it delivers deeper messages for consideration, in my delusional opinion. <laughs> Well, you cover some familiar topics, yoga, being a vegan, mindfulness, following your followee as a guru, plant medicine, compulsions, all of that, religion. So as you covered again in written form, these subjects that you've covered a bit in videos and and in conversations here and there, did you notice some recurring themes coming through as you'd cover topic after topic? Is there a, a deep running theme through the book or is it just a fun poke at the way we are? Well, there, I think there's a, a reoccurring theme, no matter what the chapter topic is or what the video topic is. One of the reoccurring themes is uh, we, we repress the, the aspects of our humanity that we have shame about. Mm-hmm. And when we repress it, it, it costs us. It creates chaos because the energy of it gets misdirected. And when it's not expressed directly, then it typically creates chaos. So wh- uh, some of the common aspects of our humanity that we tend to suppress in my experience would be our judgmental nature our self-righteousness nature and honestly like our egotistical need for significance. <laughs> so what I'd like to make all of you, the listeners angry right now, I'd like to say, dear listeners, dear JP, dear Cheryl, you're a human being. You are judgmental. You have an ego. You are egotistical and it's okay. It, it really is okay. When we try to make these facts of human life, non-existent, that's when it costs us. That's when we try to cover up behind noble-looking hiding spots, and we we misdirect these energies in a very unaware way where we act out self-righteousness, but we don't see it because we just see our mental story that says, I'm being spiritual right now. I'm being a yogi right now. <laughs> I can't associate with you because you're not a like-minded pe- person. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to pull my vibe down, which is me saying, I think you're a flawed human being. I am that <laughs> judgmental. I think you are a despicable human being. So honestly, I think, um, you know, those helping people see the unseen about themselves, about their human nature for the purpose of self-acceptance rather than self-rejecting those things is a reoccurring theme. I think self-acceptance heals all. I think self-rejection creates more 
pain and chaos in our life, whether it's chaos in our physical pain, psychological pain, uh, destructive patterns in relationships, finances. I think chaos always ensues when we're rejecting our natural human parts. It's easy to accept the parts of us that feel acceptable, but the real challenge is can we accept what feels unacceptable to us? And it's a challenge that I'm continually on. It's a challenge that I'd like to challenge other people to uh, uh, take up. But I, I do think when we can become transparent and vulnerable and therefore authentic with even the things about ourselves that uh, we judge to be less than ideal, I think we become a more whole, happier person. You know, none of us is proud of how darn judgmental we are, but uh, you know, we all poop out of our butts, uh, and we're not really proud of it. But if we don't do it, if we don't acknowledge it, we get really constipated, and that works against us. So, I think what makes us more judgmental is when we judge ourselves to be flawed because of our uh, judgmental attitudes. It's like now we're judging ourselves for judging ourselves. <laughs> And therefore, we're covering it up. But when we can just become transparent, raise our hands and say, yep, I too am a delusional human being. I judge people. I judge myself. That's how goofy I am. And then I think we're finding ourselves a little bit more. And I, and I think that's where inner fulfillment comes. When we can embrace ourselves uh, and accept ourselves to a new degree today than uh, compared to what we did yesterday, you know, it, life just feels a bit more accepting, compassionate, and friendly rather than a, a tumultuous place that, uh, we, you know, when we're continually navigating the waters via self-rejection. Yes, that is so true. And the essence of spirituality is about love, loving ourselves, loving each other, getting back to that loving place. But we do, it's so easy to go into fixing ourselves and seeing what we could fix in each other and that that other, a lot less accepting place. And yes, it's natural to judge, but it's really interesting when we when we do it kind of insidiously without realizing it in the name of spirituality, right? <laughs> A hundred percent for sure. It's it, insidious is a great word for it. It's, it's like the invisible, just killer who's amongst us. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it's so easy to be blind when we have altruistic words uh, <laughs> to disguise our just ferocious mindsets that are there. Like humans, we're, we're like savage primates. Like we're we're angels, but we're also savage primates yes. <laughs> with sharp teeth. All in one body, trying to have this interesting experience. It really is a trip. To, and we wonder why we feel conflicted at times. And we do yeah. have this duality living within. It's I don't even like to call it a duality anymore. It's a spectrum. And where are we at in the spectrum from moment to moment based on For sure. whatever? Yeah, absolutely. We're all there. We're angel and we're savage primates. And I love your your the image of the spectrum. Like we are all of it. But the question yeah. is like where on the spectrum are we like expressing ourselves from? Where are we coming from? And of course, I think we're going to oscillate here and there on the spectrum. But I think part of life wants us to realize we are all of it. We can't deny the aspects of the spectrum of self that we don't like 
just because we pretend we're not it. Oh, the whole left half of the spectrum? Yep, that's not me. (laughs) Pretending that it's not us doesn't mean it's not us. It just means we're in denial of at least half of ourselves. Yeah. And then at the same time, seeking unconditional love and wondering why we can't get there. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with the world? Why won't it unconditionally love me? Here's this world and the people around us, the greatest, most accurate mirror of self. So accurate that it's frustrating, so accurate that it's hard to see what the mirror is reflecting because it always shows us what we are, not what we want to be. Yes, exactly. Well, what a great opportunity for me to ask you about anything you'd like to tell us about what it's like to be in a conscious relationship, too, because I've seen on your social media thread that you share with your lady. And so I'd love to ask you how that's also playing out for you in a path of consciousness. Yeah, you know, we we sit sit around all day speaking in light tones of voices (laughs) while caressing each other's cheeks with rose petals. You know, it's perfect. I think that's what, what people what, think it's like sometimes what else too. Would it be? <laughs> no, you know it, it, it. It's the spectrum, as you mentioned, and um, you know, and it's great. I, I'll share details in a second, but I also want to be more real uh, instead of just pretending to be glorious. You know, much like the spectrum we we just talked about. Yeah, it, it, there's the whole spectrum. So. Yeah, the the great blessing about my beautiful lady is uh, I get to have the experience of learning about who learning about who she is. The mystery of her is who I'm invested in being in a relationship with, rather than trying to make her into the person that I want her to be, which would be essentially rejecting who she is while I'm trying to accept who she isn't. Like, yeah, good luck. And I wonder why all my past relationships have failed. <clears throat> wow. Note to self. So yeah. the, and I think what makes any relationship conscious, it's not the absence of the mud. It's not the absence of conflict. Right. It's the presence of an ongoing communication, not just communicating about the comfy stuff, but communicating openly about feelings you know, when I feel emotionally charged, you know, upset in past relationships, I would repress that because I'm afraid, well, if, if I'm upset, then, uh, my, my partner isn't going to love me. I won't be accepted. And therefore me being upset will destroy the relationship. But now I've learned me repressing it will destroy the relationship. So I've got to be honest. I've got to be open with my communication. And to me, communication is an absolutely ongoing process. It's like breathing. We can't take a few amazing breaths right now and expect that that's going to perpetuate the relationship we have with life for the rest of our life. Otherwise, our life would be very short. (laughs) Uh, So much like we got to keep breathing, I think communication is the respiration of a relationship. And again, it's not just communicating about the comfy, convenient stuff. It's communicating about everything. We need to become, for our conscious relationship, a curious student about who our partner is. Yes. Let me learn about all of you, not just the glorious parts. And we need to be vulnerable enough to let our partner be the curious student about us. I think there's something inside all of us, certainly me, that says, 
if you knew who I really was, you could never love me. So I've got to betray that fear-based programming inside of me that, you know, it feels powerful, but I got to really realize if you knew who I really was, then you can actually love me. But if you never knew who I really am, then you can never love me. So I, I have to really, really betray that old programming. And then, you know, Cheryl, as I'm you know, rambling here, uh, <laughs> but I won't even apologize for it. I would also say playfulness yeah. is a very important ingredient of a conscious relationship. Couples who laugh together stay together. It like sort of rhymes. So of course it has to be true. <laughs> so communication, playfulness, vulnerability, which I think is, it's a dimension of communication. We've got to be to the degree that we laugh together. We've got to be open to crying together that much. And then I would also dare say the, the last you know, the fourth element of the Holy Trinity, which I realize isn't a trinity, but it just sounds more <laughs> conscious if we pretend this is a trinity. So the, the fourth part of the Holy Trinity, if we have communication, playfulness, vulnerability, it would be sexuality. Uh, I do feel that's a, that's a beautiful landscape of connection that oftentimes is really discounted in unconscious relationships because sexuality becomes a mechanism of control rather than surrender. It might be a mechanism, you know, something that we associate more heavily with shame and therefore try to control our partner or control ourselves with it, either by withholding it or through uh, using sex as a way of controlling rather than surrendering to them. And uh, you know, so for me, consciously walking with those four elements of the Holy Trinity in a relationship is important. And I think with those four elements, it means we're, we're constantly working on it. You know, a, a lot of people who are maybe either fitness fanatics or self-growth fanatics, they'd say like, yeah, I'm constantly working on my body through nutrition and exercise or self-growth fanatics. Yeah, I'm constantly working on my mind and heart through healing and growth strategies. And maybe someone's doing all of that. Awesome. Well, uh, be, like we can realize our body will break down unless we're constantly working on it. You know, much like our car will break down if we never attend to it, if we never put gas in it, though our cars we can neglect longer. But I think it's ridiculous how it, it's like almost normal for people to be in a relationship and working on the relationship isn't even like in the zeitgeist of their relationship. Yeah. It's like we realize <laughs> if someone's not mindful of their eating and exercise, we know that present day, it will be normal for that person to get very unhealthy. And I think the same thing happens to our relationship. It gets very unhealthy because we just feed it junk food by default if we're not consciously working on nurturing it. And I would dare say a relationship is probably one of the most potentially valuable experiences we can ever have in life and the idea of not paying attention to it and working on it and nurturing and fertilizing it seems a little ridiculous yet yeah. wow I, I can't count how many past relationships I've had where it's like yeah let's put this thing on cruise control and we'll be good so, yeah, no. <laughs> yes it, it's got to be an ongoing conscious endeavor otherwise it's probably not a conscious relationship well and relationships are the most 
fertile ground for our growth and development. So I, I completely agree with you. I, I love some of the analogies you use there. That was great about, and I think one of the greatest relationship junk foods is the comparison thing. And we see it a lot in yeah. social media. Oh, well, they're do how are they doing? And look at what they're doing. And what do they think of this? And I mean, we really have to get out of that and be true to ourselves. And that's, that is sure. the journey as a couple and as an individual, right? For sure. You know, that comparison game, especially like the injustice of doing it on social media, like no one, including me, puts 100% of the relationship online. <laughs> like, it's like, yep. I, I am guilty of like, here's a happy, loving picture of me and my lady <laughs> with our arms around each other in front of a waterfall. It was a great experience, but it's not our only experience by yes. any stretch of the imagination. So, yes. it, yeah, you know, I think a relationship is best looked at to be a discovery where it's like, okay, dear partner, we get to discover what is our relationship rather than comparing it to other people's relationships or fictional relationships as portrayed by social media. Uh, yeah, I think our relationships deserve that kind of respect where it's a process of discovery, not comparison or expectation that it should be the way someone else's relationship is. I absolutely agree with you. This is so fun. And it was fun to watch one your latest video before we got on the call about minimalism. And, and you want to share a bit about what inspired that? Yeah, you know, so a neighbor of mine back in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, she has a YouTube channel. And so she's always happy if I have like little video parts where I need, you know, someone. She's like, oh, I'm always happy to do that. So she was over helping me with uh, a video. I believe it, it was called If Doctors Acted Like Yogis. <laughs> and during that video, she, she gave me the suggestion about doing a video on minimalism. She's like, yeah, I'm reading about it. I love it. And like, I've always been a minimalist myself. Uh, I haven't really studied it. But always been a minimalist. I'm like, yeah, I like that idea. And and it's also like minimalism is a trendy thing. So just like the idea felt inspiring to me. <laughs> so I, I went with it. And uh and yeah, I had a lot of fun with it where, you know, taking the idea of minimalism to a little bit of an exaggerated degree. <laughs> but I think like no pants kind of extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no no pants, like that's just too much clutter. And then also the idea of having ridiculous rationalizations expressed in a satirical way for why minimalism. I think yeah. that was very entertaining for myself. So, you know, I, I, usually the video ideas that resonate for me that I feel inspired by are the, the video ideas that are active in my life. You know, I'm very much living in the spiritual world and you, you, I'm practicing minimalism. So things that are true to me in my life, I get excited about with videos because it means I have something to learn. I have something to uh, find a way to take myself less seriously about. It's a way, okay, now I have something to more, another area to shine the light of awareness on, you know, where am I losing myself a little bit here in the genre of minimalism in my life. So right. I well, get excited about that. If these topics are actually true to your life, it brings me to my next question. I have personally done a couple of trips to Peru, found a lot of healing with ayahuasca. It's been a powerful teacher for me. You've covered ayahuasca mm -hmm. a couple of times. 
And so I'm just curious where your inspiration for that came from and where your true feelings lie around that. Yeah. So the, I've done two videos that involve ayahuasca. The yeah. first one was done, I think, over two years ago. It's called Using Ayahuasca. Right. And then the second one was probably a couple months ago called If Trump Drank Ayahuasca. <laughs> yes. So there, there, there's two very different inspirations for those two videos. The first video, Using Ayahuasca, what was in, what inspired that was when I was living in Southern California for 10 years, there's a lot of what I would call trendy uh, plant medicine use. And uh, there's also a culture of what I would call predatory shamanism. Yes. And it, not true shamanism, yes. not real shamans, but predatory shamanism where people are either preying on other people psychologically. I want to have a sense of power over you because I have this powerful substance. Mm -hmm. And if I can entice you to want it from me, then I feel like you want something from me. I feel valuable to you. And it's a very predatory uh, 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 energy and a cycle is a very psychologically predatory. Yes. And then unfortunately, I wish this wasn't true, but it's incredibly true. There's uh, people in, you know, that I had been exposed to who are sexually taking advantage of people. I mean, just called a spade a spade, sexually assaulting people oh, no. while they are, uh, under the influence of different psychedelics and they're essentially incapacitated. So I was seeing this going on. I'm like, this is not only not spiritual, this is a felony. Yeah. Why is nobody talking about this? So it, it was very much a family secret, if you will, very much the same uh, sense of secrecy was at play that allowed the, the Catholic Church priest to get away with pedophilia for yes. years. There's this thing that says, well, this is like, there's spiritual stuff going on, so I would be wrong to shine the light on the sexual assaulting going on. Wow. And I'm just, pardon my pretend language here, but F that. Like, yeah. I care about people. I don't care about upholding some kind of culture that's, uh, constructed out of uh, predatory behavior. No, in fact, I, I those cultures need to be destroyed. So I yes, I wanted to shine the light on the predatory aspects of it. So honestly, caring about people who can be taken advantage of in what is a very seductive community because it offers the promise of spiritual connection. Right. And. Uh, I, I care too much about people to let that be swept under the rug. So with that said, Cheryl, I have a lot of respect for plant medicines as a powerful uh, gateway to genuine spiritual connection. While also like check yourself before you wreck yourself, realizing that wh wherever <laughs> humans go, there will be human egos with yes. their human ego agenda. So, you know, to me, what's, more important than plant medicine use is who are you using it with? Yes. Who is your guide? Yes. Do you even have a guide or are you into convenient shamanism? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, my, my girlfriend, for instance, uh, she does a lot of work with ayahuasca and I've grown to have a lot of respect for the, the people that shaman that she works with. And I've grown to have a lot of disrespect 
for for people who call themselves shaman or maybe they real shaman really all you have to do to become a shaman nowadays is call yourself a shaman but i've grown to have a lot of disrespect for anybody who takes advantage of anybody else and i also realize that much like when i lose myself people who administer psychedelics and plant medicines they may be completely blind to how they are taking advantage of people. So, you know, ignorance is not an excuse here. Uh, So with that said, my personal uh, uh, experimentation, I've used, uh, actually it's been about 10 years ago at this point, uh, uh, I think three times each, DMT and LSD, uh, yet to use ayahuasca myself, I'm incredibly curious about it. But to me, the curiosity about it isn't reason enough to uh, partake in a ceremony. I, I need to be, if and when my heart calls me, yes. wonderful. But to me, curiosity is, uh, it's its like a lower level of consciousness to be coming from. Right. And I also want to respect that just because something sacred is used doesn't mean you're using it in a sacred way. I think if our heart calls us and we're working with people who are truly respectable, not just like, well, I found this person and it's convenient for my ayahuasca tourism agenda, you know, it, it doesn't mean we're using this substance in a sacred way. So I want to be very aligned with it if and when I have my personal experience with ayahuasca. Those are all beautiful points, very important points. And we've seen a lot of that. I've been on this path for about five years now with the plant medicine, and and we have seen a lot of those different things happen. We've seen powerful healing, and we've seen powerful abuse. And it seems like there's charlatans in any path, right? And so it's definitely seeking guidance about who to work with and when and following your heart. Great, great guidance. And, And just last thing on that, I think we're we're really in an immature psychological mindset, and I don't mean immature in a bad way. Just like it's a new new thing for us. Yes. So we're in like an adolescent mindset in our Western culture when it comes to working with plant medicines, and part of that immature phase we're in in our growth and development with it is uh, there's a lot of naivety. Just yes. like you go to any high school and you'll find like everybody's naive. Like, of course, <laughs> they haven't had the life experience. So I think that's part of the growing pains uh, where eventually our naiveness will be replaced with awareness. Yeah. Uh, but when we're the naive people walking into a new territory that has a lot of potential for good, we can be unaware that there can be very devious mindsets Uh, and very predatory people around. And that's part of naivety. And I think that's important to just raise awareness around. Absolutely. And thank you for doing so. Well, we've talked a little about your book, which I know everybody's going to get a copy of, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, so they can figure that out for themselves because it's so important that we all get ultra spiritual. Absolutely. (laughs) What's next for you? That's a great question. What What's next for me is, uh, well, I think a couple things. Uh, re-engaging with my videos uh, in a new way, a deeper way, is important to me. Uh, the past, honestly, six months, probably year, to be honest with you, it's like I've, I've had to fight for time to do videos. 
And right now I'm in Costa Rica for two months and I'm really looking, though I'm got plenty of work going on, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to prioritizing video creation, uh, doing new topics, going into uh, new territory that I haven't been in with videos. So I'm really looking forward to the creative dance here over the next couple months. And then a little bit later this year, there will be a more full-on comedy tour uh, that I'll be uh, taking part in. And I love working with live audiences. So that's going to be very exciting for me. It's going to be a new challenge for me. Uh, yet I think a, a, a very worthy one that I'll really enjoy. I think I'll really get a lot of benefit from and hopefully uh, deliver some uh, some good benefit, upliftment, and laughs for people as well. That sounds wonderful. And as we visited before the show, we are having this show from the Gulf Coast region of Texas. I know you've been to Texas, but not to our area. So we'd love to help you bring come here too. We'd love to have you close by for a change. Oh, wonderful. I'd, I'd love to visit. That'd be awesome. Texas is my favorite country within the U.S. <laughs> you know, I was, have to say real quick, uh, it was last week I was in Austin, Texas, uh, doing an event, uh, a, a book event. And dur- during book events, I'm doing some stand-up comedy and then stand-up authenticity. And, you know, just, just being playful with the Austin crowd. You know, I, I, I said something along the lines of, I realize uh, everybody in Austin, you all you all think that you're somehow separate from the rest of Texas. Like Austin behaves as though, yeah, we're, we're not a part of Texas. And I said, and Texas thinks it's not a part of the U S. So you thinking that you're, you're separate from Texas makes you just like Texas. So I had fun dancing with the, the, the Austinites and the Texas crowd. That is perfect. I love it. Well, uh, that explains all the birds that I've been hearing. I just love South America. So I soak some of that up for me too while you're down there. I, yeah, happy to. Yeah. So I like to end my shows by asking my guests if they have a parting thought. So do you have a parting thought you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah, I think curiosity enlivens the cat. And I think a sense of certainty is truly what kills the cat. So I would dare say we can all open our minds and more importantly, our hearts to more fulfillment and more discovery, more growth, more connection. When we can come from a place of curiosity and divorce our delusional senses of certainty that probably have zero correlation to truth and just correlation to our need to feel safe and in control. So if we can leave the gravity of the fear-based mindset that facilitates a sense of certainty and embrace something that I think serves us better, which is a curious mindset, then I dare say we're enriching our lives. Absolutely. Playfully curious even, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Online. That's an upgrade. Yes, it is. Online at awakenwithjp.com. JP, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're incredibly welcome, Cheryl. I appreciate you having me on your show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you and have a great time down there. Would you like to be a guest on Exploring Possibilities? Drop me a note at info at journeyofpossibilities.com. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.